We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for Series 12, Episode 5, M-Core. <laughs> I'm Ian Symes and my virtual friends today are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. If you would like to play the episode back while you listen to us, then that service is available for an additional £300. Or you can just waste the next 30 minutes at least of your life. <laughs> or just press play at the end of these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv So, M-Core was deemed to be the 38th best episode ever in the Pearl Pole. No. Uh, just <laughs> outside of the hallowed top 36. Uh, it was the second highest in uh, series 12 it was above everything from series 11. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, reconfirming the truism that the second half of series 12 is the best yeah. solid the one lad. Of, yeah. the, uh, of the Dave era. I was a bit unsure before re-watching it. I was a bit unsure that it wasn't better than Skipper. But um, after watching it, I think, yeah, I it's probably fair that Skipper's at the top there. but mm. Yeah, it's a close one. Yeah. They both do unusual and sort of different things, but in a good way. Here's a question. Is Lister meant to be 50 or 60 here? 50. <laughs> I mean, Craig... well, how old's Craig? Craig Charles Craig's is... Between I mean, the two. He's not far he's not... off 60 because everyone else is... Like Robert and Danny are sixty at this point. Yeah, I, should I think I think he's supposed to be fifty. Lister. Yeah, yeah, because he goes. Cause it would be a bit. Yeah. Well, Craig's a bit harsh. Craig's fifty-six right now, and this was filmed a good. Oh right. Four or five years ago, so he would have been almost exactly just gone fifty at this point when he was filming. Yeah. And in another um, brilliant bit of life imitating art. Um, around about the time that this episode aired, uh, Craig Charles uh, had a heart attack, uh, which we didn't <laughs> we didn't really know about at the time. Yeah. Um, he was luckily he was fine um, and got treated and is now doing okay um, to the extent that you know we wouldn't have known about it unless he you know he spoke to he mentioned it in an interview a few months ago. <clears throat> well, to the point that uh, I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um... <laughs> but yeah, it, this would have made a very different uh, opening scene if that hadn't have gone that way um, this is very confidence and paranoia yeah, yeah. the first <laughs> kind of a, a side reference let's say um... Rimmer's very good in this bit <laughs> this is, is he's unbelievably proper. good in this <laughs> he's great in the whole episode really isn't he yeah. and again it's a bit it reminds me a bit of future echoes of Rimmer being so delighted yep. in Lister's ill health. Yep, we've had confidence paranoia, future echoes <laughs> is definitely a theme developing. <laughs> Two minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, 
Does Lister have cartoon versions of himself and Rimmer on his shirt? Yeah, they've yes, got he like, does. He does. Yeah, they've got like yeah, it's like someone's yeah, I think someone designed. Was it one of Danny's friends designed the, the shirt? Yeah, it's very sweet. I mean, clearly, you know, he likes Rimmer enough to have. I really want those fucking chips. <laughs> and yeah, they look perfectly massive. cooked. Look at them. Yeah. Look at them. I really want that cloche. <laughs> They've got a real cloche well, these days. Well, keep that in mind because um, the cloche does make an appearance a bit later on. <laughs> Look out for that. Look out for that cloche. What were we saying before you got distracted by chips? Um, Speaking of chips. Oh, fuck. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of chips. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of. Oh, no, the, the, the fan yeah. art. Yeah, thing. the fan art. Yeah. yeah. He's basically, he's a he's a Red Dwarf slash fan. <laughs> clearly, he's got little yeah. cartoons of Lister and Rimmer. Yeah. Um, but in yeah in universe it is odd that Lister would wear that. Like, he would have drawn it presumably himself. Yeah, right. no, he went to art college. He did go to art college. Well, it's a bit like Chippy then. Chippy. Yeah. <laughs> like at first. When Chippy first appeared, I was like, oh, shit. It's a medical computer with a chirpy, annoying voice. But uh, it's better it's than It's definitely, because it, it's the puppetry that that, make, that sells it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a really good it's, He's in the same tradition as Epideme and the Data Doctor and... Um, the fucking yeah, the yeah, the Kerry Shales abomination. But yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely. I think it's just the the performance, and just being a bit restrained, <laughs> and yeah. also having a very good, like, um, just part in the story. I guess like it's very relevant. Yeah, and he's he's only there briefly. I mean, like yeah, a minute and a half, <clears throat> something yeah. like that. But also, doesn't kind of quite, it's welcome. But it's quite a, it's quite a welcome. But also, the the use of it later on, like the the fact that he's got this thing in him, allows them yeah. to get out of a situation. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very nicely structured episode. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, the, one of the best jokes. I've have we missed it actually. It's with them. Um, Oh. Rimmer basically imitates Lister. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it comes out of absolutely nowhere, and you do not see it coming, and it blindsides you, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's very, very good. <laughs> it's good because this is a an unashamedly Lister-based episode. Yes, in a way that we've had a lot of ensemble ones at this point in the in the eleven twelve block. Yeah, and then the odd bit for. Where it's Lister or Rimmer or Crichton actually is more prominent than the others, but it, it works really well because the others all have their moments. Uh, this is the cat's best moment of yeah. the episode. Yeah. <laughs> this is the white hole reference. Uh, DNA, DNA uh, when he unplugs the thing. Hot wax drip on slightly hair. Nope, you're there. absolutely right. Yep, of course we are. But yeah, uh, look, who did well that fucking... oh, oh, I don't know, some cunt. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it's now technically part of a plot point is makes me so unbelievably <laughs> fucking happy. <laughs> and M- the M Core logo is presumably Matthew Clark. Yes, it is absolutely. Yeah, his Clark, team. Yeah. Or the lads who so did. Yeah, it's your collaboration. Yeah, it's crazy. One blending to the other. So Doug, Doug is known for like his 
I wouldn't say social commentary, but just commentary on kind of, you know, real life, you know, bringing certain things in. I think this is probably the most successful he's ever been because in the years since this episode, this has only got more kind of relevant. Like, it's very heavy-handed. The whole MCOR thing is very heavy-handed, but it's really not a million miles away (laughs) from the the corporate tech culture. Everything. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I was I was maybe weeks away from deleting my Facebook account, and then they waved a really cheap VR headset in front of me that you need a Facebook account for, and now I can never delete it. <laughs> like I've fallen into this kind of the corporation is going to end up owning you, or like you know every, everything you own is going to be dependent on a you know something. I don't know. <laughs> Danny's having having fun here. (laughs) There's so much good miming in this episode. Everyone is so good at it. Yeah, it's it's a mixture of good miming, good foley, good special effects, good use of... The foley is great. The foley is is top dollar. Like, it's really, really good. Sells it completely. Yeah. It's something you don't really notice until it's not there, but this is fantastic. Just so subtle. Yeah, so good. What I find interesting with the cat shaking up the can and spraying it, Lister, uh, the can itself is invisible to Lister, but the lager contained within is visible. I know, Uh, I know. So MCOR only owns the can. I know. The lager is of the people. We could maybe, we could maybe assume that he didn't see it, but we had to see it for technical reasons, (laughs) (laughs) for comedy reasons. (laughs) good yeah okay don't series 8 it Craig actually it's not Craig's fault don't series 8 it it's an interesting now then it's weird because it's Lister can still use all the things he can't see doesn't stop using they they can't yeah Considering that they can materialize stuff in the ship, you'd think they'd be able to just fall out and destroy anything that wasn't MCOR, but Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some technicality that they don't have they don't have the right legally to destroy other people's property just because right. it's not theirs, but they can it's make a... it so that it's really hard for Lister to use it and so that it's much more easier for Lister to just use the MCOR stuff. Yeah. It's a very black mirror style mm. idea mm. has anyone ever wondered what's happened to all the third party twitter apps or around about 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the same sort of thing they were just yeah. made unusable through api restrictions in fact it was probably longer than 10 years ago at this point so why can't uh lister see catman um because well, he just isn't owned by MCO. He's just not an MCO. Yeah, employee. he's not an employee. He's not an employee yeah. of JMC. Oh, mind you, uh, why? Is, yeah, I thought it would have been funny if the cat had a faked out at this point. Yeah, like for, the, for the first. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then he really does go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what, the, the, I went through a bit of a journey with this, and we probably discussed this at the time as well. Um, of just like, oh, why? Why are we like? You know what? What? Why have we got a storyline that's, oh, we've got a new upgrade, as if there's some active JMC thing? But then a bit later on, Crichton's describing it in the 23rd century, 
they they um, bought Earth and you know they're telling the story of MCOR as if it happened in the past. And so I think we're meant to assume that, like the post pod, this is basically it was explained in Better Than Life, and from that point on, we have to kind of take that as the explanation that all of these upgrades are lagging behind three million and five years or something, like three yeah. million and thirty years uh, lagging behind. A bit like um, Ali McBeal getting out to. Um, Omicron Percy I eight. <laughs> it's also it's a bit weird the um this idea of the whole ship having upgrades kind of uh, denied from itself was something originally um that Jez found out about during one of the DJ chats. During oh, the inaugural Coffee Lounge Cock. Yeah, when he found out those three plots and I think they all I think they've all been ticked off now. Because I think they were all I think they've all been eventually used. I think it was an idea of them finding the upgrades in the storage bay and that was what that was gonna be a thing. And then obviously, yeah, possibly that's where they got pre from originally. I think so, yeah. It was like the Trojan was another thing, and that was Closh, yeah. Closh. Oh, yeah, there's the Closh, the original (laughs) Closh. Closh hat. It is just a helmet, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, well, it's presumably an MCOR helmet. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a great set piece. I love it. Yeah. And again, the beans (laughs) themselves are visible, but not the can. (laughs) (laughs) And the bread. Green screen technology has come a long way since Maroon. Hasn't it? <laughs> oh. This is just, yeah, this is just so fucking sad, man. It's just <laughs> the idea of him like being on a separate plane to everyone else and not being able to, it's just, yeah. it's awful. It's, all, it's, it's the same thing that in my head, it would have happened shortly after, after the end of, you know, before Rimmer had come back on the scene in the end. It's the kind of thing you'd see Lister doing, just milling around the ship on his own, not really knowing what to do with yeah. himself. Uh, yeah, it's the yeah. equivalent of that part of um, Infinity between Lister waking up and then having a breakdown, and Holly realizing he needs to bring Rimmer back. Yeah. It's a it's a psychological horror concept. Yeah, and it, and Doug actually like explores it quite quite thoroughly in this as well. Like both the the loneliness and then the. The horror of when he's in the the virtual space, wherever that's supposed to be, mm. and 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 being trapped and being like you know with this malevolent force forcing you to kind of like spend your life away, um, it's it's terrifying. It's the most it's the scariest Red Dwarf's ever been. Not that it ever really tries to be scary, but you know what I mean. Like it, no, it really like, makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a horror plot, isn't it? It's definitely yeah, a horror yeah. concept. And from a storytelling point of view, it's really interesting that we are seeing everything from Lister's point of view whenever he's in the room. Yeah. yeah. Because like, obviously it's there for comic effect, really, of having the invisible things. <laughs> and and the fact that we as the audience stop hearing Crichton and everyone else as soon as Lister does, and we only see what Lister sees is, yeah. We have the same jarring experience where we're in there yeah. with him. Because Lister is the closest... To the sort of everyman audience surrogate in Red Dwarf, uh, I don't think we'd see. I don't think we'd be put uh, in another character's head in the TV series in the same way as we are with Lister. Because obviously, in the books, you've got bits where you're you're All you're over. experiencing the story as Rimmer or as Lister. But in the TV series, I think it's only Lister that could carry it. It's an interesting take on the unreliable narrator um, yeah. trope, really, isn't it? So he's is he that he's basically in a digital space here, right? 
I think he's being transported to a real space station somewhere. Right. Um, because they do say it's like a, a transporter, teleporter, mm. but that all of this is in his head uh, with the perception filter. Right, thing. okay. So he could just be in some run-down, derelict shithole, gotcha. uh, but he perceives it as this virtual space. Right. Which she de- she describes it as a virtual living space, doesn't she? Or, or words to that effect. Mm. Virtual integrated environment. There we go. Um, a, a big thing at the moment is there's, there's a lot of apps coming out for um, VR headsets for virtual workspaces, like capitalizing on mm. the working from home thing where you're basically you're sat at your desk, but you've actually got five monitors around you and, you know, your keyboard, your, your actual keyboard is in virtual space, stuff like that. Again, like very similar to this, like a corporation providing you with a virtual working yeah. and living area. <laughs> Yeah, he could just be like in a like a little box, like a little yeah. cell, basically, yeah. and he perceives it as this. Yeah, it's effectively VR without the te- without the wearable tech. It's all in his head. It's all brain interface. That's yeah. how I see it. Yeah, <laughs> here he is. Hey, <laughs> Steve. I'm so, I'm, so was... glad, I'm so glad he's part of Red Dwarf. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those where, like, I think in terms of number of episodes that he's um, first warmed up, been the audience warm up guy. He's probably the longest serving. I don't think Tony Hawk's did it beyond series three. So he did. Yeah, Dave. He's done the whole Dave era that's had audiences of the nod episodes here and there, and so yeah, he definitely deserved to have a part in the show. Ian Boldsworth, we're talking about here, in case you're not watching yes. the episode. And yeah, the other the time guest star is Helen George. His professional name was Ray Peacock. He was Ray Peacock. Yeah, in the credits, is Ray Peacock. Yeah, we've got Helen George here, who's probably best known for her role as uh, Neil Morris's nagging girlfriend in Over to Bill. <laughs> that brilliant, oh, brilliant sitcom pilot. Don't put the present on top of the car. Oh. <clears throat> <laughs> I think she's a great um, antagonist. Mm, really good performance. There's only yeah. one duff point, but it's not. I don't think it's particularly her fault. It's maybe direction, but um, I, I don't actually know whether we've just had it, but when she says, um, you can only pay with your life. She like she. That's the only line yeah. she delivers as a as a baddie, whereas everything else is kind of clean corporate speak. Um, yeah, which is as it should like be as because a, you know yeah. that yeah. MCOR's outward uh, public facing well uh, persona. Yeah, I can't remember the details now, but yeah, Rimmer's password. Right, this was... Which is another massive callback, obviously. Yeah. This was a scene that was moved from a, a, a Starbug uh-huh. Series 11. This appeared in the Red Dwarf 11 game, mobile game. Yeah. Where you where you, oh, you know, yes. guessed the password, and it was for... Oh, what the fuck? I can't remember which episode 
But it was a, yeah, it was a series eleven. It was one of the first again, four. It was one of them, one of them jokes that shifted from <laughs> one to the and then plonked into this one. Burn. Um, yeah, I think it might have been um, GNT. See, I think it's like, it's almost like as if this program is corrupted, but it feels like as if this is how it yeah, should be working. This is it's gone a bit it, rogue. Yeah, but I don't think it is. I think this is just how this thing works. I mean, they're clearly a malevolent company based on their their behaviour with Earth, with the thought tax and um, and everything yeah. there. Like yeah. they're not really pretending to be benevolent. No. Well, they are kind of. Maybe it's the fact that like. They they still own all this shit, and everything's clearly run by an AI of some description. Uh, but as far as we're aware, the human race is extinct. So yeah. they've just been they've known that this one ship is out there waiting for the upgrade that they own, and there's a human, there's a living crew member on board. So the AI is still going that runs MCOR, uh, but it's right. now been on its own for three million years and it's got a bit peculiar. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so that's, uh, as we know, AI does, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. So that's, some, that's my headcanon for all of this. There's some insane uh, things where AI has been left to work out what might happen next with something and the, the stuff it comes up with is absolutely batshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, it's just only something that becomes more and more believable as time goes on, of, uh, you know. Mm. What would an AI do given like millennia on its own, given a purpose? Like, how would it then evolve its interpretation of what it's supposed to do to fulfill that purpose? It's like the the problem of like you you say to an AI, we want you to solve um, deforestation or something, or like think think of an alternative to deforestation, and the um, the alternative that it thinks of is to wipe out the human race. <laughs> yeah. Solves deforestation, you know. There's the alternative. And sometimes, you know, if you set an AI a task to complete, then sometimes they'll go as far as building an entire planet, um, run by undercover mice that would run the uh, <laughs> run the question through that. Nuts to your white mice. <laughs> no, that was the bit. We're going to charge you in life. Yeah, that, yeah, which I'm not sure how that even works. Like, <laughs> is it literal? Are they somehow, and or is it all just the perception? Yeah, um, it can't uh, be the perception because then, yeah, that doesn't have value. So it must be yeah. because they, they've got something in him. Like they don't really explain how <laughs> that is, how that works, how he's infected with this software. Well, how about the fact that he had Chippy in him? Well, that's, and that isn't, Chippy, that, isn't that the idea that Chippy's the, the thing inside? Chippy's him been is, upgraded. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Chippy can suck his life away. Yeah. Chippy yeah, can suck an interesting life. choice of colour of the t-shirts here. <laughs> I think yeah, I think Doug's been in an Apple store at some point. And <laughs> I like uniform grey joggers. This is this is good as well because you forget that he can't see them. So when he touches them, and he freaks out and he's like, "Oh, yeah, 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 it's good, it's good." <laughs> Craig is very good at this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a time when Craig would have genuinely just fallen asleep at that point. <laughs> I think going to say there was <laughs> it been, there was been at the hacienda till four in the morning. <laughs> there was a time when he would have genuinely looked like that. Usually, <laughs> usually on a Friday night in a taxi. <laughs> 
okay, this is a very rushed conclusion. Let's say this feels slightly better than life as well, in a way. Like the like the game, like oh it's like yeah, the game trying to keep them there. It's like yeah. you know trying to give mm. them what they want. But it, she's she's been very like welcoming to the to, to them weirdly. Right, they've got no plan. Like how they managed to, to buy? Sort of, yeah, they they've yeah. There's nothing they can do with them. Yeah, and and how well, they can get they can get their money off them. Yeah. They can get their credits off them and get their life off them. Yeah, that's true. And that's that's the kind of M purpose is to own everything and gather every single possible asset. But allowing allowing a virus that <laughs> destroys you to be bought is um, that's mm-hmm. a security hole. You know, this system should have been pen tested. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the thing with all the beta testers are now extinct. So. <laughs> it's true. They're all on uh, the B arc. They're all on the beta arc. <laughs> I wonder whether we've jumped out of sync with each other. Uh, I'm on. Lister is back on Red Dwarf now. Yeah, he's eating his hair. He's eating his hair. <laughs> <laughs> and Doug used RAM correctly, everyone. It took 30-some years. <laughs> but Doug now knows what RAM is. We did it, boys. Hurry. <laughs> we did it, lads. <laughs> so, yeah. Callback... Arama City, we Big know time. a callback. <laughs> uh, but like, even the fact that it's sort of unstated, but what they're using here is the technology from Body Swap, essentially to remove Lister's brain and put it and reassemble it and put it back again. That's got to be using Body Swap yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and that that's that's a callback that kind of happens in the background. It's more, it's more of a kind of headcanon as to how it works, I guess. And a back but reference. But it leads to yeah. the ultimate back reference. <laughs> well, the the back <laughs> reference as well as, well as the, 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 the way that holograms work. Again, that's like that's something that was explained way back when. Mm. Um, it's funny, though, because like we, we've mocked the CCT recordings thing. And it's like, it is a massive stretch. But the CCTV bit only exists... For this reference, for this back reference, like they could have just said, "Oh, we've got your full personality; we'll restore you." But, <laughs> yeah, oh, in order that. to do the joke. <laughs> yeah, but it's encrypted. Might take a while for us to fix it, kind of thing. <laughs> this is such a great like they they both did so well recreating this. And the yeah, like, Lister is basically exactly. Doing exactly what he did, but Rimmer's reactions aren't uh, a carbon copy, and that's no. because it's this is our Rimmer after yeah. thirty odd years. Yeah. yeah, like reacting to the fact that someone has suddenly here. reverted. Yeah. It's good. It's a good episode. It it's it's fine. And obviously, I like the fact that um, I always like it when Ganymede and Titan is sung. <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Circular logic, because we're called Ganymede and Titan because it was mentioned in the because show. Because of that scene, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like it when Ganymede and Titan is mentioned by one of the creators in a uh, commentary. <laughs> yeah. It was more often than ever in the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, great episode. 
feels like it's mostly built on top of series one because mm-hmm. we've, we've talked about yeah it re-establishes holograms and what they were for the fact that it's something that happens effectively on board the ship it's a story that's to do with the ship itself the mm. ship itself gets an upgrade and everything the ship's spins a character. off from it yeah yeah we were talking about in Macocracy in the previous episode that that's a, a plot that comes just from internal stuff aboard the ship. There's no external forces driving that story. Yeah, and so this this is a kind of best of both because there is like Mcor as an entity is a is an external villain, but it's it's again it's one of the it's a type of story that only Red Dwarf can do. Yeah, because it's it's entirely to do with the situation that they find themselves in. Absolutely, and and also doing something a bit new with the horror angle as well. Like they haven't really, but Red Dwarf's never been that uncomfortable, really. Like you know, both the the loneliness side of things, well, facing mortality, the loneliness mm. side of things, and then the 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 horror of being like trapped by a malevolent, you know, um, you know, a, a baddie that is using capitalism to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Doug firing on all cylinders with that one, and like. And the performances in the Promised Land are almost—they feel like they kind of built off where they all were at the end of series twelve. Mm. Yeah, and Chris especially, I think, is some of his best stuffs in the Promised Land, and you can see him kind of almost building back up to that. Like he's almost moving away from some of the more exaggerated kind of caricature sides of Rimmer that he relies very heavily on these days. I think he. It, more of the kind of the slightly subtler, deeper stuff is kind of starting to creep back in uh, at this point. Yeah, I suppose most of the stuff that he does in in this episode, it's Rimmer reacting to things that have happened to Lister or to you know to the ongoing situation around him, and so the fact that he's got good Lister material to work off means that Chris has to work less hard in order to find the funny yeah. bits, and that's a very classic setup as well. Rimmer being mm. Literally, like a ghost floating around and commenting on what's happening because nothing can happen to him. <laughs> it has to all yeah. happen to other people. So it's a very classic setup. I'm still not convinced that the cat should be invisible to him. It's a whitelist type of filter, meaning that right by default everything's disallowed, and you add, yeah, you add the things that are allowed. So everything's disallowed. Only MCOR things are allowed to be seen. Okay, um, which yeah. We, we works when you're on a ship that's owned by the company, but, and then yeah. you could basically pay to add other things to that list, yeah. and then yeah. that's how they, yeah, that's how they work. Yeah, yeah, there was probably a way for him to buy access to the cat. Yeah, yeah, like, just effectively, it's like a, yeah, <laughs> it's like a computer game where he's got the basic character pack, he's got the only <laughs> the basic stuff, but he needs to spend a lot of in-game currency yep. in order to. Uh, you can either, get you can either, actual you can either decent play the experience. game for three years and grind the shit out of it, or you can spend. Yeah, you know, spend five five quid and get the horse armor. Yeah, <laughs> which is the the first example of the sort of DLC in Oblivion about fifteen years ago at this point. <laughs> Isn't Mcor? I wonder whether that's meant to be related to the Megacore, which was the thing oh yeah, was, I forgot about that Megacore. Yeah. yeah, I think they have to be because it's too much of a coincidence. But then on the other hand, why not call it Megacore? Yeah, why not have the same one throughout? So maybe it was like when they were filming Series 11, he was intending to call it and the episode Megacore, but then decided to shorten it to Mcore by the time they were filming Series 12. 
air, but that meant that the reference in Samsara no longer. I would just worked. yeah. I mean, I can think of it as like a like um, how companies can sort of start shortening their name once they become yeah. recognised, yeah. so they can start to be, start to shorthand their own logo and their own identity. So like Megacore yeah. will have been the original name of the company, and then it got shortened to Mcore by default because yeah. more people were familiar with the with the brand. Yeah. So that does make some kind of sense that that could be the case. I think that yeah, that totally works. And he wrote he wrote the scripts. I mean, I'm not saying he wrote them all very close together in time because it was twelve scripts and it would have taken a very long time to do that. But um, it was written in a block because it was filmed in a block. Mm. So. Mm. Um, we're, you're absolutely yeah. You you're never barking up the wrong tree when you're trying to look for references from eleven that that pay over into twelve. Because it's one of those where it's almost a shame that there's not more examples like that, because that's a really neat one. Mm. So remember, we all assumed that <laughs> in give and take, Snacky refers to a a crew member like I used to work yeah. with your former crewmate, blah blah blah, Donald Littlewood or something. Yeah, no, Frank, I'm thinking of probably Frank. Dom Little, I'm thinking of Dom Littlewood from Broke <laughs> Who's the prick? Who's the prick? <laughs> uh, but yeah, someone. Ronald Littlewood, Ronald. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we were all kind of hoping slash expecting that to be to be relevant in Series 12 in some way, because otherwise it's a really weird thing to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, it was just a really weird thing to say. Yeah. yeah. Strange. Maybe it's almost like, so, it's almost like someone cut. just sort of gave him four pounds to put him in, put this his name in a script. Or he won a competition or something. It's like it's like that. It feels like that. Yeah. <laughs> was that what the, uh, the is that what the Smegups ended up being when they won the competition on Smegups? It was to have a, a, a said in part. <laughs> it took twenty years. To... <laughs> Shit, I forgot about Ronald Littlewood. Oh, he's dead now. Never mind. We're rolling towards the end of series twelve now. One more to go. So maybe this is something we'll uh, we'll discuss with the next commentary. But according to the poll, poll, um, they each get sequentially better at the end of series twelve. Yeah. So are we still thinking that this is second to Skipper? I think so, but I will. I'll be reassessing yeah. uh, next time. I think gut feeling is yes, it's probably still true, and I'm kind of, I am looking forward to watching it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's been a while since I've seen Skipper, but I see them a bit like um, the Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. <laughs> um, Hot Fuzz slash Mcore are the better film slash episode, whereas Shaun of the Dead slash Skipper are my favourites. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because of the things that it does. Yeah, I, I think Mcore is M- more worthy. It, it, it yeah. it's more impressive. Um, it's tighter yeah. and it kind of works better as a plot, as a story. There's no fat on Mcore at all, but then Skipper just hits higher heights, uh, but it is less consistent, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and and also Sk- Skipper's just like a it's, it's a fan wank factory, and it's brilliant for that. <laughs> <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing, um... a Play-Doh fan wank factory. I quite like the idea. But... <laughs> I was wondering if it was like the cheesecake factory. <laughs> <laughs> Add your own topic. <laughs> yeah, it's quite impressive actually that it managed to out it, it, it out references this episode when this episode is very well. This this episode references past episodes in a very deliberate way and in a way that isn't just like oh I'll just throw that in for for the fans. Mm. It's like it's building off a lot of ideas that are kind of a worthwhile way. And that kind of ramps up in the last three episodes as well. The mm. the fun wank train starts <laughs> choo, off choo, with. Motherfuckers. <laughs> 
talky toaster returns in one episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then entire scenes are recreated in this episode, and then well, yeah, you even got, all you even got manner the, of shit. The, 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 <laughs> yeah. the actual the CCTV footage that they use in Mercocracy as well was like just tons of references of older episodes, just literally visual. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and that CCTV is now extremely plot. Yeah, related. has has been set up. It's Chekhov's CCTV footage. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and also as well, because I noticed it when I was watching through, there's a poker reference as well. When when Rimmer loses his month of memory, Kat says, oh, I beat you in a game of poker this morning and you agree to be my slave for the day. So there is a through thread, I think an accidental through thread in this series of poker and Kat learning how to play it. Ah, uh, yeah. Which we'll pick up on in Skipper as well. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't know if it's if it's if it's deliberate. It's nice that it's there because it's, it's to yeah. do with the fact that the episode switched round so that Cured was wasn't the first recorded, but it was the first aired, and that opens with a poker scene, and Skipper closes with a poker scene is a completely it gives it a bookend yeah. bit of symmetry. Yeah, it feels like it could like be on a loop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doug obviously was learning to play poker in twenty sixteen fifteen. <laughs> if you ever wrote a book, we'll hear the rules in incredible detail. <laughs> during a fight scene or something <laughs> that's a reference uh, to yeah, the book if you're not listening you're not to uh, <laughs> if you're not listening to the Dwarfcast book club catch up yeah. <laughs> we've just finished Last Human and we're very happy you don't it. even have to read the book just listen to them it's fine we just <laughs> summarise everything if we wanted to do an acronym watch um, Crichton calls the Medicomputer the MC in oh, one yes, scene he does. in this episode yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he does yeah. Um, an MC is a compare and or a rapper. <laughs> yes. Or a, a prefix for a chicken nugget. <laughs> or not. But yeah, that's ironic because the the MC was removed from Crichton. <laughs> and now here it is. And now Crichton is saying MC. All comes round. Certainly there was some thread of massive giant corporations that are destroying the world. But hey. That's a different podcast. Fucking right now, is. we're far more concerned about the terrible waffles that we're about to do. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's time for the section in which we answer your Red Dwarf related questions and discuss topics that you've suggested in the section that we like to call. Ah, so you're a waffle. Waffle, waffle man. Invisible waffle man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, M Core Waffle Men. And we start this week with one that's inadvertently but quite relevant to the episode that we've just watched. Uh, this is from Will, who asks, Will. "Has anyone act- <laughs> And what was Will doing at this point? <laughs> he asks, "Has anyone actually tried to live for a few days at least on Lister's diet?" For, let's first nail down Lister's diet because well, you have to, otherwise it will run away. Because <laughs> this has been like this is a, an ever shifting thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. At one point, he literally wouldn't eat anything other than curry. Yeah, even a pizza with curry sauce poured onto it was. He, he would definitely eat anything. a pizza now. Yeah, he's ne- he's now moved on to not just curry, but just generally unhealthy food. Yeah, yeah he'd like eat a kebab. Stuff. Yeah, 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 kebabs, which obviously can be spicy as well. Yeah, and also kebabs can be healthy as well. You can, they can. You can do all right with kebabs. <laughs> Probably not listed. So the spirit of this question is curry at least once a day, right? Pretty much, and lager, and lager. But yeah, in this episode, he eats a uh, cooked breakfast and yep. a massive plate of chips, which Kepsi coveted. Yep. Well, maybe you've got some deep psychological trauma Here that makes go. you crave massive plates of chips, yeah. because I distinctly remember one occasion in 2006 when we all went to the chip shop 
uh, and then got back to the flat and you dropped your chips on the floor and pretended that you were fine to just have some pasta. I was. I like pasta. It's fine. (laughs) So Capsi tried to live off. I could have, if I was that bothered, I could have just gone out again and just got chips again. Or just let them off the floor. (laughs) No, 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 not not the floor of that flat. (laughs) (laughs) And he also just eats some beans on toast. That's probably because he, like, Everything, all the curry supplies. Oh yeah, that, that's it's, him being desperate. I think. Yeah. yeah. There's a weird thing with Lister is that he's got some funny like opinions about foods that he probably shouldn't do, like the not liking pizza unless it's a curry pizza. Like, ev- like literally everyone in the entire world likes pizza. <laughs> there is a pizza that suits anyone, even people you know that are um, gluten intolerant. Gluten intolerant. The, there's pizzas like everyone loves pizzas. So that's a weird one. And but. Uh, I don't know. I could probably eat a curry every day, but the thing is, is it's a lot of effort to eat a curry every day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You'd have to either get a ready meal curry yeah. every day. Yeah, it will either be difficult to make a curry every day or expensive to buy a yeah. takeaway every day. Well, whereas it's very easy to have, say, chips or like a kebab from the local like brilliant fried chicken or whatever it's called, you know. <laughs> Brilliant chicken. There was there was a place Excellent in um, on Uxbridge Road. I think it was called Brilliant Fried Chicken. The, the, there's the, <laughs> there's a million different places. There's just a, a word at the start of fried chicken. Um, <laughs> yeah. Perfect fried chicken. It was perfect fried chicken. Yeah, perfect fried chicken. Yeah. That's <laughs> but I mean, in terms uh, of like food, we've tried that Lister has invented like fried egg chili chutney sandwich. Is actually really that's a, nice. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful! Yeah, it's got all. That's it's a it's staple. Beautiful sandwich. Yeah, I wonder if that's. I genuinely wonder if that's something that Robin Dougie yeah. had as a hangover cure. So Will is saying, has anyone tried to live for a few days at least on Lister's diet? So if we say a few days being a long weekend, then yes, we have done that very. I think often. so. Of so. yeah, years. I've, I've definitely I've definitely eaten nothing but shit for three days. I mean, like you know, I'm eating like <laughs> kebabs and pizzas and stuff. Me and Seb used to live above a curry house, so let's say Friday night, everyone comes over. We went, we'd go downstairs and get curry. So that's Friday night, yeah. for which, <clears> by the way, we'd get a ten percent discount for collection. Yeah, collection. For a while, I thought it was a ten percent discount because we um, they were our landlords and they were like oh we'll give you a 10 percent but no it was because we were collecting saturday night we'd probably go to the fish and chip shop he would definitely have that all the while you know lots of lager has been drunk and then mm. we might even have some leftover curry on the sunday i don't know so that i think that counts yeah, yeah. so we've done that definitely had a curry and lots of lager on <laughs> on one night and then had a triple fried egg chili chutney sandwich for breakfast. For breakfast, yeah. Yeah. Probably we've maybe accidentally drunk lager that's had some um cigarette butts in it. Oh, oh definitely. Oh. Especially in the days when our system was uh, an empty lager can would be the ashtray. Yeah, yeah. And you'd put it down next to your identical lager can. <laughs> and I've just made Danny be sick. <laughs> Make you genuinely ill. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> But nowadays, we're not barbarians. We smoke outside and throw our <laughs> cigarette ends on the floor. Uh, I'm actually an ex-smoker, and every time I start to have second thoughts, I just think about a lager can with some cigarette butts in it, and I'm like, back yeah. on the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up, uh, the Devil's Advocar uh, wants to know, who's the most well-known non-speaking character in Red Dwarf, and Mr. Flibble doesn't count? Well, it's, it's obviously Mr. Flibble. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Apparently, he doesn't count. 
<laughs> Hence the unnatural restrictions put on the answers to this. But I think if Mr. <laughs> Flibble's not going to count, then it's probably the cloche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in my world, definitely. <laughs> I mean, how many of Jimmy Nail's cameo appearances were non-speaking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what? I know what it is. It is Cigarette Smoking Man in Backwards. That is a non-speaking part in Red Dwarf. And oh, the person yeah. that, that is very well known. What happened to that fans. guy? <laughs> well, well, yeah. Well, so I guess he's yeah, yeah. I think you might be right. We could spin this into what's our like, kind of favourite unspeaking roles, and I think Joe's wife from the end. She, <laughs> yes. she does quite well. Joe does quite well himself. Jo- Joe and Joe's wife. Yeah, Joe and Joe's <laughs> yeah. wife. Good, good, good pair. There's not that many. <laughs> there probably is, but I can't think of many non-speaking characters. No, because you don't That's get you don't get background. Yeah characters no, much, do you? Uh, very rarely. Yeah. And those that do don't really stand oh, out. I've got... Rob Grant or I've, Mike Agnew. I've got the ultimate answer to this. Go on. Hattie in Series 5. <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hattie. Does does the polymorph count? Um, no, because she speaks as Jenny Mutant. Uh, and Rimmer's mum. Uh, yeah, and Rimmer's mum. Yeah. That's true. Do you know what? Has anyone asked the polymorph what it needs, what it's feeling? Well, it's feeling whatever it takes from you. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're too busy asking what emotions it's taking and not asking what emotions it's feeling, you know? <laughs> well, in your case, they've obviously taken your empathy. <laughs> um, the Scutters. Yeah, that's, that's got to be it, hasn't it? The Scutters don't speak. Oh yeah, good point. It's gotta be the scutters because they are—they are like, yeah, they are the most well-known non-speaking character. That yeah, is, that is it. well-known sort of outside of fandom. I think people would recognise scutters as being are oh, they're the things from Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, so that's I think, pretty so, good. I think one. Unless sticking ones up is um, officially recognised as sign language, in which case that's technically speaking. In a, in a manner. <laughs> what do you mean, technically speaking? <laughs> They can sing, but he didn't speak. Yeah, sings a great escape. Oh yeah, it whistles. <laughs> it's a good question. This I like this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh no, I was going to say the woman in the cafe in um, backwards, but she does have a line after she yeah. stuffs an entire clear into her mouth. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, she would have been Frankenstein. Is Frankenstein the most well-known yeah. speaking character? He does meow, so he's she. speaking in cap. It's just we don't know what he's saying. It does probably me, yeah. put me the fuck down immediately, is what he's saying. <laughs> she. She's saying, sorry. <laughs> yeah, there was a big clue. There was a big the second clue. time. <laughs> I wish my cat was non-speaking on this podcast. <laughs> oh. No. I'm sure there are people who tune in just on the off chance that they'll hear Donna go, <laughs> in the background. Uh, bit of an upsetting question uh, from Ranger N8, or Ranger Nate. Who knows? Ranger Nate, yeah. In the End Original Assembly podcast, you all feel incredibly old as it has been 10 years since the Series 1 DVD came out. Well, how does everyone feel now that it's nearly 20 years? Old. Fuck you, Ranger <laughs> N8. <laughs> yeah. That's a, yeah, that, that, I mean, yeah, it doesn't make me feel great. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> it just... It's okay. We've got a year and a half before it's 20 years. Because it was, it was November 2002. <sighs> wow. So... I mean, yeah. it's it's when you start to come to terms with the fact that parts of the '90s were 30 years ago, and and we yeah we kind of had to come to terms with that a year ago anyway. So I'm kind of you know 
I still can't get my head around 2002 being basically more than half my life away. Yeah, yeah. That I think that's the pro- It's like the proportion to your life because, like, I can't. The notion that the early 2000s was as far away from now as the 70s or the early 80s was when I was growing up. Yeah, it's yeah. No. And that's because of the numbers, right? It's it's like the 2000s feel further away from the 90s than they actually are mm. because there's a mental separation there with the numbers. And you didn't feel it at the time, obviously, but 20 years later, certainly yeah. the way I imagine, like, I can't describe kind of how I visualize time, but I visualize the decades in a very particular way. And the 90s and 2000s aren't really connected in that visualization, whereas the 80s and 90s are and the 70s and 80s are. It's very mm. strange. So the 2000s should always be like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. We're now at the point in time when 2000s is a sort of genre of, uh, of nostalgia in the same way that now you can identify the trends and the music and the fashion of the 90s. Yeah. Uh, you can do so with the 2000s now and that doesn't feel right. No. <laughs> and I suppose as well, like the, the, the passing of the decades doesn't feel as strong. Like the fact that we're now in the third decade of this century depending on how you count it but yeah we're in we're in the we're in the 2020s it doesn't feel like 2009 and 2010 were separate decades but they were Mm, in the same way that it's obvious that 1989 and 1990 are separate in the 80s 90s there was a countdown happening to like the to 2000 it almost felt Mm. like like a nexus point and so every new decade was significant whereas now every new decade because there's a massive stretch in front of us basically numerically it it feels different um yeah so novelty of the future has worn off oh yes has it fucking (laughs) ever (laughs) the future has not been exciting uh, in a in a non-terrifying way for a long time (laughs) maybe that's our age maybe it's (laughs) other reasons that are making it feel like that but i yeah <laughs> maybe it's the global pandemic that's kept us locked well, in the house for over a year not only that but like no maybe this is this is definitely an age thing but like technology started like uh, the advancement of technology started to feel uncomfortable but then i'm pretty sure everyone goes through that when they start yeah. reaching middle age um so maybe i am just an old man i don't know when I was, because recently I, there was a reason I had to get the DVD, <laughs> I had to get the DVDs out of storage in order to, um, to to use them to get some information off. And there was something about the series one DVD in particular that just made me realise it was like, wow, we we have actually like DVDs were when they first came out, they were the shit, and mm. you know they were the best thing, and now yeah. they are as antiquated pretty much as VHSs were, and I find that really odd. Yeah, I find it sad that sort of physical media in general has gone that way. But yeah, they do feel definitely feel like a different era. And I think specifically, the series one and two DVDs have got just physically they've got the sort of plain shiny front of on the disc. On the discs, they don't yeah. have yeah. yeah, they don't have a proper um, like pattern a printed, on the discs yeah. themselves. Yeah, they don't have the print that series three onwards does. So that makes them feel old. Kind of the black case is a fashion style of that era. And then there's the fact that there is a listed as a special feature, a web link. And (laughs) and in order to access it, you go to the menu and click on web link. And it says, in order to access the Red Dwarf website, put this DVD in your DVD ROM drive 
and open up the file called dwarf.htm, which will take you to reddwarf.co.uk. Like that, that is, (laughs) or in a pinch, you could just go to (laughs) reddwarf.co.uk. But that, that is definitely not something that is uh, (laughs) a current. No current technological it's like uh, it's like the interactive menus being a special because that was the thing that dif- differentiated them from vhs's yeah. right that was the mm. that was the defining thing in fact you could buy a series of a tv show and just go straight to whichever episode you wanted and you could if, pause or... it it was just like crystal clear and it was just like wow, yeah if the adverts at the time were to believe the main difference between vhs's and dvds is that if you put a dvd in your tv would explode so um <laughs> that, that, was well, that doesn't sound like a great selling point no it doesn't but <laughs> TV, I mean, the, tvs were the expensive. people watching it seemed pretty pleased because it exploded in dolby i don't know <laughs> <laughs> That is one of the main things that makes me feel old. Just experiencing the full life cycle of a form of media. I, I yeah. you know, like like being excited about DVDs, it being completely unreachable. The feeling of my first DVD player, which actually was just a DVD drive for my PC, and mm. getting DVDs for Christmas was just the most exciting thing ever. This is two thousand and two, maybe, and then yeah. and then just seeing it, seeing them fall to even to a point where not even VHSs really fell to. I don't feel like VHSs were ever felt as obsolete next to DVDs as DVDs are next to digital. Yeah, in, in a way that no. is actually sad. Like no one was sad about VHSs not being used as much and they were still kind of used like that magnetic tape was still used format was still used a lot for a lot of people um the like the best way to keep something that was on tv or to what or to watch yeah. something that you know when you were out was to set your video yeah yeah actual physical yeah, dvrs VCR. were like 2005 dvrs yeah and dvd and they weren't that, and they weren't that uh, well, oh no, sorry, yeah, DVRs as in digital video recorders, yeah. yeah, they they came a bit later, and not everyone had them. Yeah, um, recordable DVDs, uh, like weren't really a thing that took off. So it, really, until iPlayer, um, for a not massively technologically minded person, um, iPlayer was probably the first thing that allowed them to yeah <laughs> to drop the VHS. Um, where they they could catch up on something that they'd missed, or or go back and watch something again. When did TiVo come out? When was because that didn't really hit the UK till a long long after America. Had I don't know if TiVo ever really was a big brand thing here. I, what I remember is like America had TiVo for a few years before I even kind of really thought about kind of digital recording, and then you'd get all sorts of kind of free view boxes that came out here that had that had that like I had a top field machine that I fucking loved. Um, and there was various things like that, but I don't. I think TiVo only arrived in this country as a partnership with Virgin, if I remember rightly, mm. Virgin TV. Whereas the big DVR solution in this country was Sky Plus, yeah. like because yeah. so many people had Sky. Yeah, and it was a, a relatively cheap upgrade, if I remember. Yeah, right, it was. It so, was the path that everyone ended as, up on Sky Plus. Yeah, yeah, because uh, they they went from normal. A normal sky analog sky to sky digital was one big leap that that basically helps digital tv come along yeah along with freeview and then then they introduced sky plus and because they had so many subscribers that became the default yeah i remember going to visit rob sedgebeer um king of the internet <laughs> now a chortle award winner for his efforts in um in helping 
facilitate online comedy during lockdown. He had a TiVo in about 2002, and it was like living in the future. Yeah, it was amazing. amazing. <laughs> but he was the only person I knew that had a TiVo. I've got a recording on a DVD somewhere. I need to find it. Um, I I was really excited about um the Quatermass remake in 2003. It might have been actually 2004 because it was David Tennant before he was the Doctor. Uh, and I knew oh, yeah. he was going to be the doctor. And I had a, a free view card in my PC that I would like record stuff to 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 DVDR to kind of keep. And um, the recording I have of Quatermass is completely ruined by uh, John Paul II dying because <laughs> there was a, a huge banner across the side of the turnover to BBC News for for a breaking news story. And I was like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> can you please not ruin my because I was still I was still in the mindset that I had when I was a kid with my VHSs of recording and trying to get it perfectly starting at the start of the episode and, and everything <laughs> like that. And I was like, I wanted this pristine recording off air uh, of a live a live production that is gonna get edited when it comes out on DVD and it's got a fucking great strap across the middle. Anyway. At least it's better than um, cancelling the MasterChef final for Prince Philip. <laughs> yeah, no one really complained about uh, the coverage of Rangers fans. <laughs> God, we definitely answered a question there. Whether we answered that question <laughs> is another matter. Well, that was basically your old now discuss, and I think we've covered that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So thanks, Ranger N8, mate. <laughs> Speaking of ways of consuming your television media these days. Uh, Craig Walker uh, says, I saw recently after EastEnders that Dave Original Zapped is now on iPlayer. There was also a drama from the UK TV alibi channel Traces recently broadcast on BBC One. Is it possible Dave Era Dwarf may make a similar move? Which I wasn't aware of, but yeah, it's there. all of Zapped is now on iPlayer um, as a as a box set. Does, okay. does anyone know? Has, has the BBC... Or has BBC Worldwide upped its stake in UK TV or something recently? Like, is this anything to do with BritBox? Because possibly. BBC and ITV have kind of like clubbed heads together to create a digital environment for a lot of British stuff, and as a result of that, does that mean the BBC have acquired some stuff off of the subsidiary well, channels and then absorbed it into their kind of main? Umbrella. So everything's kind of got bumped up. One everything's yeah. kind of yeah, everything's kind of getting a bit fudged about now in terms of where things actually stand in terms of rights. Mm. Like it's now, now it's now just kind of absorbed yep. into the sort of main BBC umbrella. And here's another thing to consider: it's a, it's a different situation, but Disney Plus has been like an incredible success, incredibly popular because it's one of those because of the amount of different properties that Disney now owns like a ridiculous mm. amount after they bought Fox specifically. It feels like a one-stop shop sort of a service. It's the sort of thing that someone could say, I'm subscribed to Disney Plus, therefore I don't really need to be subscribed to anything else. And people having subscription fatigue is definitely a thing. So oh, yeah. things like BritBox bringing stuff together like that, like may- maybe there is a bit of a trial going on of just like UK TV and BBC. There's a Venn diagram. You know, they are partly mm. BBC Worldwide, partly owns UK TV and all that. So why not start to bring things together a little bit more and um, and give people that? Well, it definitely helps iPlayer. Yeah. That it has like, iPlayer is great. It's got loads of archive comedy stuff and dramas and stuff that's there. And it's obviously, it's all free you know, as long as you're a license fee payer. And that's great, the fact that you can go on and just browse comedy and find something good to watch. Yeah. 
And also, you can watch Zaps, <laughs> <laughs> which I am not particularly a fan of Zaps, but it's good that it's there. Yeah. And yet, yeah, if anyone brings together all of Red Dwarf on one service, then that would be a good thing because currently Netflix has series one to eight. Yeah. UK TV Play has bits of series one to eight that has been repeated recently on Dave, but not all of it. And series 10, 11, 12 and Promised Land. No one has Back to Earth <laughs> at all. So like, as things stand, you can't watch every single episode on demand. And even ignoring Back to Earth, you can't watch everything all on one platform. So yeah, having a Red Dwarf section on iPlayer that has all the BBC stuff and all the Dave stuff would be a great thing. There's a technical aspect as well. Like UK TV, and I think until recently as well, ITV, their streaming quality is... Not Pish. not up to up, not up to snuff. Like the B, the, uh, the BBC has been brilliant with this. Um, mm. It was a few years ago, wasn't it, when they when they managed to or they they added support for the the higher frame rates as well, so everything wasn't kind of crunched yeah. down to twenty five or thirty. So the BBC has the infrastructure there, and if that infrastructure is used for other programs like things that are usually only on UK TV Play, for example, Red Dwarf. Uh, I don't know what the fuck resolution, but it doesn't feel doesn't feel like it's even seven twenty to be honest. Mm. Then that'd be great, you know. Like and and that sort of consolidation would be um, beneficial to everyone, really. UK TV is such a weird one because it is like I almost need to look at a chart of who owns it, like and what percentage, because I imagine ITV are in there somewhere. I imagine everyone is in some way or another through you know various means, and just it, it, it's it's a kind of a weird a weird entity that is related to the, the 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 terrestrial broadcasters and not at the same time interjecting some uh, facts, facts actual facts rather than <laughs> it is that. now wholly owned by bbc studios ah. um which is the current name of the company that was formerly bbc worldwide it used to be a joint venture between the bbc and thames which right. was later incorporated into itv so yeah currently it is entirely owned by the BBC or BBC Studios, which is the BBC's commercial arm. So, hence why probably this has started to happen. Yeah. Although iPlayer's relationship to BBC Studios is presumably not as straightforward because, oh God, because the BBC exists as two separate entities, <laughs> it can be a bit confusing. But, like, BBC iPlayer is not a BBC Worldwide thing, it's a BBC thing. Yeah. So it's not like BBC Worldwide owns iPlayer or whatever. That's owned by the by the public service BBC rather than yeah. the private entity BBC. But you can only assume that the fact that they now own UK TV outright. <laughs> yeah, that's going to help. That, that's going to help. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe maybe the days of UK TV Play are numbered, in, or maybe they're going to start getting better Pinch infrastructure. Me. You know, like well, yeah. If they ran it on iPlayer technology, then it would be a brilliant service. It all goes into BritBox, because BritBox is a BBC yeah. Studios thing, right? How curious. I find it very interesting, because it, it's kind of the modern equivalent of a programme-changing broadcaster, which <laughs> yeah. you know, which also happens in a, in a linear sense with Channel 4 gobbling up Bake Off and Taskmaster and changing rooms and stuff. Yep. Big Brother going to Channel 5, Robot Wars going to Channel 5 and being run into the ground on both instances. But yeah, something appearing on the catch-up service for a channel that it did not originate on is an interesting modern twist on that. And also, Taskmaster, all the Dave-era episodes of Taskmaster are on all four, the Channel 4 catch-up service. So you can see 
all of that in a one-stop shop. Uh, and yet it is also still on UK TV Play. And Dave repeats Dave Era Taskmaster, <laughs> I think, literally every night. <laughs> and why not? Yeah. Because it's brilliant. Um, I'm interested to see what happens in a couple of years' time. Will Channel 4 Era Taskmaster end up being repeated on Dave as if it were any other programme from a terrestrial broadcaster ends up on Dave or on UK TV just as a piece of archive? Is there something in place that will allow them to start showing Channel 4 Taskmaster on Dave in the future? I mean, you'd imagine so, because everyone likes money, and having (laughs) the same show repeating on two different channels means doesn't mean you're taking like repeating it on UK TV play would not take anything away from Channel 4's business it would it or not much con- compared to it would just it would end up catching more people you know it's like it, it's never going to have a negative effect on the amount of money yeah. that repeats are making is it by having it on two different services so you'd imagine that is a relationship that would be mutually beneficial because UK TV play is no slouch it's not this little thing you know it's not not this little minnow. It's it's obviously much smaller than Channel Four, but I imagine it does great guns. Well, it's definitely expanded and and built over the last few years, and I think um, yeah. you're welcome. Frankly, <laughs> I think it's it's Red Dwarf that through a policy that was bad for us as Red Dwarf fans, and specifically Red Dwarf fans who have a vested interest in getting everyone to watch and react to things at the same time. Yeah. As bad as it was in that sense, uh, from a business point of view, putting Red Dwarf, it, new Red Dwarf exclusively on UK TV Play was a genius move because it, it, it massively increased their um, registrations and their user base overnight. I mean, use some of that money to discover what HD is, UK TV Play, please. <laughs> God. I am fully bought into the, I've mentioned this before, fully bought into the kind of the streaming life but I have to admit that it's come with a lot of trade-offs. Like my son, when he's watching TV, he watches things streamed and he watches a lot of stuff on YouTube. And the, the side of that is that the quality, the picture quality of the stuff he's watching is terrible, even compared to what I was watching in the 90s. You know, broadcast quality is obviously, you know, in the 90s is far higher than a lot of the, a lot of the kind of the re-uploads and re-encodes and whatever mm. that you get on YouTube. Also, you know, they sacrifice quality for the shows I want to watch as well. If I want to watch something on UK TV, I can't watch it in HD in a way that I would be able to if I was watching it linearly. <laughs> so having Red Dwarf on a service that is, you know, putting it out at, at least 1080p or even whisper it 4K would be lovely. In fact, get like we sh- we we should have 4K versions of the the newer Red Dwarf. I mean, presumably you can at least bump it up past 1080 to a certain point because everything's shot on reds right it would have to be upscaled and you'd have to rebuild it all from scratch which wouldn't actually be possible because they even when they were shooting on 4k they don't shoot on red anymore red was back to earth and 10 oh really and they were shooting at yeah. a massive 4k resolution well, that's what that's the era when all the shots were massive wide shots and Doug would reframe them digitally. Uh-huh, yeah. That's right. Right. Um so you wouldn't be able to do a full four K cut, a true four K cut of those series because otherwise all the shots would just be massive wide shots. And there'd be no close ups and you'd see bits of the set and uh, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> the microphones and stuff at the side. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. For eleven and twelve, uh, they shot on Ari Alexa's which was a smaller resolution, but still massive compared to what they needed. Mm. Uh, but it meant for a, an easier edit workflow. Got you. Right, yeah. 
yeah because even even now like editing in 4k must be a giant ball ache well you, you need a bit of <laughs> a bit of horsepower yeah, in, in, in 2012 it was bad yeah yeah i can imagine okay well so but you know maybe, maybe you can i mean upscaling is probably going to be uh more successful on newer stuff ironically but... the last time red dwarf was upscaled we got that fucking blu-ray set <laughs> well so. i mean that video that appeared on the is either in the forums or in a comment thread of the, of yeah. the experiment with ai upscaling was pretty incredible so link in the show notes yeah link in the show notes the possibilities of of ai upscaling is very interesting although it does have its limitations it's better than the method they used for the Blu-rays. <laughs> Which was <laughs> hope for the best. Yeah, hope for the best. Change, change the resolution on a drop-down and press export. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who cares if it's the right frame rate or not? <laughs> and why bother getting the name of the episodes right on the menu? <laughs> <laughs> and also, let's not look at more than one reference photo for uh, for the Red Dwarf ship while we do this artwork. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I didn't realise I had that oh, tape. Did you feel better? I mean, yeah, okay, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. For now, let me stream Red Dwarf in 1080p. Red Dwarf that was sh- that was delivered New in Red 1080p. Dwarf. New yeah. Red Dwarf in 1080p, and then we'll take it from there. Basically, yes, please, put Red Dwarf on iPlayer, all of it, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. in one go. Because also, that that's only good for the show. Oh, mate, and imagine the mileage we'll get out of figuring out what versions they're using. Oh, <laughs> will they have the little scene at the end of Maroon? I, I was going to say, will, will, will Maroon Cabana? Remastered turn up? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If it's been delivered to them from UK TV yeah. Play, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Good questions, everyone. Thank you very much. Do keep them coming in. Uh, but for now, that was ah. So you're a woman. Just one more thing that we wanted to talk about. As many of you will know, uh, we lost our friend Seb Patrick, who was the editor and writer of reddwarf.co.uk last year. And we have another little job for you, our army of Red Dwarf geeks, uh, that you can help us out with on his behalf. His family are currently trying to persuade their local council, Sefton Council, to allow them to put up a a memorial bench to Seb on one of his favourite spots overlooking Crosby Beach. And the council are refusing permission currently, despite the fact that the family are willing to pay for it themselves and, and, and sort of everything else itself they just kind of need the council's permission in order to, to do it and the council don't appear to be budging so we have put a petition together it's a no-brainer really it's not going to take any of your money it's only going to take a few seconds of your time and it will be a really good positive thing to have a, a nice permanent memorial to Seb in a place that meant so much to him and to his family but also that area needs more benches anyway because yeah. <laughs> like it just does it's a it's a coastal path going down to the beach it's very hilly and there's not that many places for people to to rest and, and chill out and get an ice cream or whatever so it would be good to have a bench it would be excellent to have a bench with seb's name on it somewhere that his family can go and his friends can go and and people can go and remember him so please do sign the petition uh, that is in the show notes and we'd like to show sefton council that quite a lot of people uh, would like to see this happen yeah Uh, and you'd be doing a big favor for seb's family by doing so If, if this happens at some point in the future we should we should resolve to 
meet at Seb's bench and record a dwarf cast there. Yes, <laughs> and, and uh, invite you all to join us. <laughs> <laughs> like it'd be like a DJ, a DJ dwarfcast. <laughs> Get people at Seb's bench. spread out on Seb's bench, <laughs> doing inappropriate poses on Seb's bench, leaving inappropriate gifts and tributes on Seb's bench. Basically, yeah. Having a permanent <laughs> a permanent uh, tribute to Seb Patrick that we can vandalise yeah. ourselves at will. It's what he would have wanted. Exactly. <laughs> and actually, that's a good point, the permanent tribute thing, because in the in the, um, in the article there's a quote from um, Seb's mum that says that, that there isn't anything physical right now that that, that is there. So there's no gravestone as like a, um, mm. a place to go, a place that's just yeah. that Seb's place, really. Yeah. And this is... The ultimate Seb's place. This is, you know, where he walked every day with his daughter. And yeah. It needs to happen. It needs to be done. So please sign the petition. And we will be back next time with the first part of our latest book club book, <laughs> uh, which is the first part of Backwards, will be the next podcast that we record. If you haven't already caught up with your reading do so now and leave any comments that you have over on www.ganymede.tv or you can find us on twitter twitter handle is ganymede titan okay so this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working with okay so yes look out for the next book club then after that our final series 12 commentary uh taking on skipper in a couple of dwarf cast time uh, but until then, stay safe, uh, stay two metres apart, stay happy. Staines is a uh, town in Surrey uh, that is home to uh, Thorpe Park and Ali G. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wikipedia. Uh, and as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to G&T Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.